The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Now you're welcome, Kwame. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So how about you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, obviously, uh, name's Eric Lloyd. I currently run the graduate business program at Audubon University. I've been doing that since about fall of 2013. Prior to that, electrical engineer by training and education, but mostly a lot of project work around change management, continuous improvement, various different industries. So I've always been probably centered around problem solving more than anything in most companies that I've been in. But right now I'm running the business program and it's a it's a program that I graduated from in 2002, so it's uh, it's it's even more personal than the, what most people might think. But uh, it's a big reason of why I'm here. Fantastic! Yeah, I'm a big fan of the program. I'm I'm biased too. Yes, you are. <laughs> and, it's, and it's great to have you as an instructor in our negotiations course. So absolutely. Yeah, it's fun. It is a lot of fun. You you gave me a good crop of students, so I appreciate that. <laughs> good. Good, good. We hope so. That's the, that's the goal. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's jump into it. I, I'm really excited about this episode because we're talking about how we can use negotiation as a problem-solving tool within a company. And uh, the three topics we were going to talk about today are defining the problem, overcoming the barrier of self-preservation, and finishing up with strategic relationship building. So let's start off with the first one of defining the problem. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. You know, I, I, I've always seen it as it's something that we jump to conclusions on. And I think we try to move too fast because if you're not clearly defining the problem, you're going to spend a lot of time on the back end reworking the solutions that you've provided. You know, I think sometimes people spend too much time trying to provide solutions too quickly. And instead of really being able to clearly and concisely know exactly what the problem is before we move forward, I think that's the benefit in, in most, if not all, uh, projects and any type of a problem-solving aspect. Uh, I don't think that we listen enough sometimes. I think that we are obviously in a communication world. We're always ready to, to say or respond to what we're hearing. So I don't know that we listen enough as well. And I think those two go hand in hand. So I, I think that something that most people miss out on when they're looking at problem-solving is the actual time to learn something from that listening time. You know, you're interviewing somebody because typically you might be working in a department that you're not as as intimately familiar with, or you may be going into a company and you're not familiar with the inner workings at all. You might have an idea of the industry and what they do, but you know, this is a this is a time for you to really listen. And, and when you do that, I think it helps to 
more clearly define what they're looking to solve and what the problem might be. Right. And I think that's something that is so obvious in these difficult conversations that it's easy to miss. And I wanted to see from your perspective, what is it that leads us to make that mistake, clearly defining the problem before we get started? Sometimes it could be inexperience, but I think the biggest aspect or the biggest driver is the speed of business, the speed of the way companies want to grow or change or want to evolve or they want to get the market quicker. They want to gain a competitive advantage. So when they come up with or they define a problem, it's how quickly can we take care of it? How quickly can we fix it? And then that might push the individual working on the problem to move a little quicker than they should. And I and I think there's times that we forget to step back and, and make sure that we're clearly seeing through any what, you know, something that we've been working on here around non-routine leadership is seeing through complexity. Am I really understanding the problem? Regardless of the pressure that I'm getting, and I, and I think the other thing that is overlooked is maybe we need to have that negotiation with our boss to say, hey, the, the more time I spend to get this problem defined properly, the less I'm going to be spending on rework on the back end. I know I said that earlier, but I think companies are in such fast pace these days to get to the problem, to get to the solution. We are immediately going to the whiteboard, we're brainstorming, and we're hoping that we find the issue. Instead of pulling in those experts that may be more closely involved in the problem, as opposed to just us being able to to do it ourselves. But I think speed of business, speed of change, I think gets people a little anxious when we try to move too quickly. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that one of the things that this demonstrates is the importance of having that more expansive view of what a negotiation is, right? The the podcast is named Negotiate Anything for a reason. And in this situation, it seems like we're negotiating with our own team as to what the process will be, how long it will take, and how we'll approach this. Because if you recognize that you need to take some time and clearly define the problem, but your boss or other people on your team want to jump to the problem-solving stage, those are difficult conversations you have to have in order to slow down the people around around you in order to clearly define the problem so you could actually be effective at what it is you're trying to accomplish. I I would agree. When I I first came to Autovine, I did what I call a whirlwind tour. I went around and met with a lot of different companies that either I had connections with previously, companies that I had worked with or worked for, business partners, colleagues, what have you. And I asked them, you know, with the MBA program, what, what, do you, what do you need these graduates to know? And there were three things. The number one on the list was problem solving. So I am hoping that the, the market is understanding the need to slow down and, and define problems quicker. But again, I think it's going to be a culture shift in a lot of companies to to really slow down and understand that this is a negotiation piece. We really are going back and forth and maybe challenging each other internally, you know, respectfully, hopefully, but we're we're trying to challenge each other to make sure that we've put our pulse or our, our finger on the pulse of what's actually happening and, and then going from there. Again, it's a, it's a speed thing, high demand, and, and I think you're right, I think that negotiating upward or downward or with your team of let's make sure we're spending that time. It's going to offer greater benefits on the back end. I can't, I can't stress that enough. <laughs> Absolutely. And in our preparation, one of the things that you discussed was 
the importance of finding the origin of the problem. And so from your perspective, why is that such an important part of the process? Well, and process being the operative word, I think most problems are involved in some type of process. There are steps to whatever somebody is working on. And I don't know that individuals always 100% understand what's going on within their company or what's going on within the process. So when I say get to the origin, one of the things I've always been trained as an engineer and, and even after getting my MBA was map it out. Let's make sure we know where the origin is. Where is it coming from? And if we don't map it out and we don't know exactly the steps to the process where somebody may go in and say, oh, it only takes us five steps to complete this project or to get this product out the door. They start digging in and they realize it's 25 steps. And it's all these little nuances that maybe it's something computer-based or it's user error. But if you don't get to that origin, again, you're just you're solving something that isn't, isn't the root. And it's not going to fix what you're trying to do on the back end. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And again, it demonstrates the importance of clearly defining the problem because you have to go in laser focused on that one issue. And it might be that one issue that is the the crux of everything that you are dealing with at the time. But if you don't figure out what that (laughs) issue is, it's now that we've gone through it, it seems really obvious, but you're going to be engaging in a lot of activity that might not be leading to any kind of meaningful benefit for your company. Hey everyone, I have an exciting announcement for you. As you know, here at the American Negotiation Institute, we believe that the best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. In order to live the best versions of our lives, we need to negotiate to get what we deserve. But here's the secret. When it comes to effective negotiation and conflict resolution, knowing what to do is only half the battle. This is nothing without the confidence you need to execute. And that's where the Negotiate Anything online course comes into play. This isn't just a negotiation course. This is a confidence course. After you finish the course, you'll know exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to say it for maximum persuasion. And most importantly, you'll have the confidence that you need to take action when the time is right. In other words, you'll have the skills and confidence you need to get what you deserve at work or in your business. This will help you to become the leader and negotiator that you always dreamed you could be. We were supposed to start in early January, but unfortunately, the day I was planning on recording, I lost my voice, so I wasn't able to do that. So the new start date is February 17th. Check out the website to learn more, and there's also going to be a link in the description. And now, without further ado, let's get back to the episode. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. 
When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to segue into the second thing that we're going to talk about, which is the barrier that we face with regard to self-preservation. And uh, the reason why I think this is a good opportunity to transition is because sometimes people might, whether it's intentional or not, <laughs> get in our way when it comes to trying to find the the source of the problem because they might say, hey, I'm the source of the problem. <laughs> I need to protect myself. And so can you tell us a bit more about this barrier that we might face in these conversations of people wanting to protect their interests? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, most prospects involved in individuals. But I think some individuals forget that not every not every project or solution is about elimination of bodies. Sometimes it's about increase in, in throughput or production. And so I think when you have these types of problem-solving approaches, I think a lot of people are a little fearful that it's going to impact their job or that they might lose that job. But I think if if you can get through that barrier, I think the self-preservation or the way around the self-preservation is to really make them part of the solution. And I, I think most individuals want to feel that they have value or that they add value to the organization. And what better way to do that than to ask somebody to actually be part of the solution that could affect their responsibility or their job. And then if they're part of that, that solution, then you know, obviously they're going to be probably a little bit more excited about what the solution might entail. And I think they're probably going to have a quicker insight than you will. Obviously, they're going to have a quicker insight than you will as to what the problem might be. But I, I think it's getting them comfortable with you know, knowing that you want part of the solution and engaging them in the process. I used to work for an organization that one of our goals was always to include the biggest naysayer. And if you could include the biggest naysayer, hopefully you'd be able to get for the better solutions because that was going to be one of your bigger barriers is to work with, negotiate with, to include that individual into the project. But once they got involved, you'd be surprised how many times, more than not, that they really engaged and they really helped to find what was going on and really, really helped to, to move the project forward. It was just almost by serendipity, I guess. But, uh, but I think that the benefit was that they were involved and they, they felt appreciated, they felt listened to. And again, it goes back to getting them past the fear of this is not a good thing. This is going to impact me in a negative way. And that's not always the case. It's rarely the case. Not saying that it doesn't happen, but most good people that are leaders that are involved in problem solving, their number one goal is to take care of their employees. That's what drives the company. That's what makes the company great. So, you know, involve those people in the solutions. And I I think you'll you'll get around that self-preservation issue. That makes a lot of sense. And now when it comes to utilizing the strategy of getting them involved, it's easier said than done because it's a little bit more than just saying, hey, join the team. And they say, OK, <laughs> because they're, you're dealing with that barrier, that fear. So what would it actually look like in the conversation? Let's say if you're actually having a conversation with the biggest naysayer, what is it that you would say or do in order to get them on board? I think there's a couple of things. One, you're identifying them as the expert, you know, and that's a pretty quick 
and pretty easy way for them to get comfortable. You, you are really going in and identifying them as the expert. And then you're also telling them that this, this doesn't move forward and it, it doesn't get better without their help. But I, but I think they, again, they, they need to feel as if they are truly contributing and, and, and they're part of the solution. But I, I think if you can get them to understand that without their knowledge, their expertise, them truly being able to provide input into what's going on. You know, I think sometimes you can talk with project teams because it, sometimes it's you and just a project team and it's not necessarily management. So you have an opportunity to really hear how these people feel about what they think the problem is. And sometimes they're just wanting somebody externally to listen or a project member to listen. And I, I think if, if they can feel comfortable around that individual that's working on the project, I, I think more times than not, they're going to, to feel like they're, they're, they're part of the solution and they're more willing to, to engage and to provide their input. But I, I, I think the biggest piece for them is that they are identified as somebody that's critical to the solution. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because when you think about it, the root of their issue with self-preservation is that they're afraid that they their value is not being recognized and as a result they might lose their job because they're not seen as a contributing member of the team. But through this approach what you're demonstrating is that yes, they are a very important member of the team and you're identifying them as an expert and once they recognize that you recognize how great they are and how valuable they are they're going to be a lot more willing to be part of the solution because just in that act you're assuaging some of the fears that were holding them back in the first place and i, and I think just the sheer fact that maybe a manager or their boss sees them as part of the solution that immediately turns around somebody's opinion of somebody like that. So I, I think they only stand to gain from being involved. Uh, you know, I, I think if, if what they're, what they're helping to do is to provide a better way of doing things, I, I would think that most managers or management would want to, would want to retain them because they, they realize that there is definitely value there as opposed to maybe just someone who's more negative and not willing to, to engage, but uh, I, I think they would they would see that as a, a benefit for themselves. Right, and it seemed, and again, this is this is great because I think this transitions really well into relationship building too. Because if you already have taken the time to develop a relationship with the person before you've come to this situation where you're having these difficult conversations, it seems as though you would be in a better position to be persuasive and they'll be more likely to be willing to jump on your team as well. Yeah, that's hundred percent true. I, I would even step back before even talking about problem solving. I think relationship building is, is somewhat of a lost start in the day of digital advancements. I think we forget that how much a face-to-face -face conversation or how much actually really engaging with individuals from another industry, from another company, even from a competitor at Otterbein, I've, I've been able to reach out to other individuals and other graduate programs, and we've benefited from good conversations. So I, I throw that out first before I even talk about problem solving, because relationship building is critical, I think, in any, in any situation. But when you think about building relationships within an organization or within a project relative to problem solving, I think people want to trust you. And I think your, one of your biggest goals is to gain that first and foremost. Let them know that you're there to help, and it's not as if you know, you've come in to 
make their life miserable. And I think a lot of that starts with just basic conversations. I, I, I always tell most people that I talk to that I'm probably a better coffee individual than I am a lunch individual because I do like to talk. Lunch is a little bit more difficult. Coffee is a lot easier to converse on there. So I even tell my MBA students, you know, while you're while you're studying and even after the fact, build relationships, have coffee with people and other departments of the organization across other industries, you only stand to gain. I mean, it only helps you to get a little bit more wise in, in uh, you know, different aspects of your own business. But we do have to establish good relationships before we can engage with people on any type of problem solving. Right. And when it comes to trust, that's a word that, uh, that you use that I think is critical here. When we're building trust, we're having these conversations. What else can we do to, I guess, amplify the level of trust that is felt in the relationship? So we're not just having idle conversations. How can you be a little bit more intentional about building trust with the person? You know, I think you're really wanting to gain their insights. I, I, I think if they, if they believe that you really care about what they think or what their ideas may be or what they feel the problems are, then we should. You know, we should be genuine in our conversations. It's not as if you're trying to use them or leverage them to get to a solution. I, I think one of my favorite things to do is to really develop good relationships. And I want the individual on the other side of the table to, to know that I have their best interests at heart. You know, gaining trust isn't always easy, and I'm not saying that it always works out the way you want it to, but I think some of the first aspects of getting trust is asking about them, learning more about them, what, just like you did with me in the beginning. You're asking about my past. What, or what, what, what do I do? Or where do I come from? I think a lot of people just want somebody to care, and they want somebody to really understand that sometimes your job isn't easy. But I think if you could ask about that individual more in the beginning, then they do they do start feeling a little bit more comfortable working with you and providing you insights or support that, uh, that you need. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me uh, of the book, The Code of Trust by Robin Dreek, former FBI yeah. agent. Great <laughs> yeah. book. Absolutely. Great it book. It is a great book. I need to have him on the show. I'm going to... Yes, you should. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, you um, should. one of the things that he always talks about is he doesn't try to get any information from somebody in the first meeting. It's always the second meeting. First meeting is all about talking about them. What do they like? What what are their interests? What are their goals, hopes, and dreams? And just give them the opportunity to share. Because when you look at people in a laboratory setting, when they're given the opportunity to talk about themselves, their brains are flooded with dopamine. It feels good. And like you said, at this point when we have all of this this digital communication, there's a shallowness that comes with it. There's a limited level of depth. And so if you have a situation where you're able to connect with somebody on a deep level, ask questions and get them to talk about themselves, that's something that's rarely experienced nowadays. That feels good. And those those positive feelings are going to be associated with you. And that's just simple classical conditioning, right? And then through that process, you're building that trust. I couldn't have said it better. You know, people sometimes just want to be heard. And sometimes that's the simplest way to gain trust. You're, you're, you're right. It, it, some organizations are so large anymore that people just aren't really sure where they fit, how they contribute. And if somebody gives them a little bit of, I don't want to say attention, I think that sounds superficial, but, but engagement. I think you'd be surprised how, how what people will do if they have just a little bit of engagement. You know, I've worked in several organizations where I, I've seen CEOs and managers walk around on a daily basis and just ask people about them. 
How was your weekend? How was your day? What's bothering you? What else can we do to support you? You would be surprised how far that goes and how good of a negotiation tactic it is. And I, I don't think any of them have ever meant it as a negotiation tactic, but they would be surprised or you'd be surprised what they can get out of that individual on the back end just by showing a little bit of appreciation and interest. Absolutely. And it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. <laughs> right. It's, it's really funny. Uh, humans, we are complex for sure, but in a lot of ways, we're very simple. <laughs> and it's that same yes. thing that we want. We've wanted since we're a child. We want to be recognized. We want somebody to pay attention. We want somebody to care. That doesn't go away. And again, I think this goes, we can tie this back to what you said at the very beginning. The issue that we're having when it comes to defining the problem is that we don't take the time. Business is moving too fast. I can't stop to have coffee with somebody and just ask them about their dog. <laughs> I don't have time to do that. What's the point? Exactly. But it's it's right. a key point, key part about uh, of of building that relationship. And if you keep on making these investments into the relationship bank account with these everyday interactions and deep level conversations, then you're starting to build a relationship that is strong enough to withstand the difficult conversations that are going to come down the pike. Absolutely, and it's future trust, and it's, it's like you said, you're banking up future engagement that, that you've all, you've made them an ambassador now for you, for the patient, for the effort that's going on. Because now they actually trust the process. They trust what you're trying to do, that you're actually there to help them. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pay it forward type thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's so funny. It's just the, the fundamentals of relationship building. First of all, it just, it feels good <laughs> having deep level uh, human connections. It feels good. But it also is strategic. And I think that's the difference. What we're seeing here is the difference between tactical thinking and strategic thinking. When you're thinking strategically, you're thinking long term. What not only what do I want right now, but also looking down the road into the future, what do I want? If you're thinking tactically, you just wait for the problem to arise. Okay, now what persuasive tactic will I utilize in order to to get this person on board? Because right now they seem like a problem. Well, the issue that you're going to have is that you started the persuasive process far too late in the game. You should have been persuading them two years ago for this problem that Absolutely. is happening today that you didn't know was going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. You, you, said, it, you said it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. No, this was a lot of fun. And I think this will be a great resource for folks who are in organizations who need to have these difficult conversations and, and solve problems within teams. And uh, yeah, they're going to get a lot out of this. And before you go, again, I want you to uh, let the listeners know a bit about the the program at Otterbein and some of the exciting stuff that you're you're, you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it, things are moving fast here as well. We just started a new relationship with uh, Columbus College of Art and Design on a focus area in design thinking, and a lot of it goes back to you know really helping companies solve problems, be innovative, grow. And our, our students are, you know, benefiting from just some of the conversations that we've had over the years with these companies. Uh, I said before that they were looking for three things. It was problem solving, more critical thinking, and better communication skills. Yeah, I think we covered all of that here. And yeah, we try to center our program around that. And we have both full-time and part-time instructors. You're one of our part-time instructors. And I think we bring in a lot of great industry experts to teach the courses that they're teaching. But I, but I think the students really do find out that they are getting better at being leaders in their organization, solving problems, better at understanding how to help companies grow, 
you know, it's the goal. I think that uh, we're trying to equip future leaders for, for the area and even for the region. But, but I, 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 I hope that uh, our students maybe don't hear this podcast and hopefully they'll agree with me, but I, I think they are really trying to, to do that themselves. And when I throw those three things out, I think it makes them think about how they're approaching their own companies, work within their own companies, you know, more questions, more listening, being more genuine, being more part of the solution than they are right now. So yeah, I, I, th- I think that uh, here at Audubon, we're trying to we're trying to develop students into the very individuals that we just talked about on this on this episode. Fantastic, yeah, and you all are doing a great job. And I, I think by the time we post this, it'll be early January, and MBA applications will still be uh, accepted at that point, right? Correct. Yeah, we have we have a semester start in January. Applications are coming in now for. For that start, but we will be accepting applications all the way up through July for fall of 2020, and that's when our design thinking focus will roll out. And it's something that we're really excited about. Students will do a majority of their program at Otterbein, and they'll take three classes at CCAD on campus downtown. And we're trying to get more engagement with their MDES students and their master's of design students. They're working heavy on innovation strategies. We here working heavy on business strategy. So I think if we can get those two groups together, I think we'll see some really, really great outcomes. So, yeah, applications are rolling in right now, and then uh, hopefully they'll continue to roll in through next fall of 2020. Fantastic. Well, great. Eric, thank you again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Quality, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's always uh, great to talk to you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.